Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. In this episode, the Action Catalyst welcomes Mary Beth Hyland, author, speaker, and award-winning company culture expert and founder of Spark Vision, which seeks to empower people to own their role in crafting culture every day. She has received Circle of Excellence, Innovator of the Year, and Top 100 Women Awards, and holds a BA in Social Work, MS in Nonprofit Management, and over a decade of experience transforming workplace cultures into connected communities. Her latest book is Permission to be Human, The Conscious Leader's Guide to Creating a Values-Driven Culture. Now, host Dan Moore in conversation with Mary Beth Hyland. So Mary Beth Hyland, welcome to the Action Catalyst. It's great to have you today. It's such a gift to be here with you and your community. Thanks for having me. Well, it's absolutely wonderful. And I love the fact you started right off with the word community because that's really what you're all about, with workplace culture and how culture should drive everything that happens in an organization. But let's back up a little bit more in, into you and your own background. If you could just share some of the, the more significant pivots that have occurred that got you into the mode that you're in today, the influences in your life, uh, events that happened that kind of caught you by surprise that led you went down a path you never expected. Those types of things are so interesting. Yeah. Well, I love being able to share that because so many times people ask me, how do I get to do this work? How can I do what you're doing now? I want to get the certification or the credentials or whatever it may be. And uh, this path just opened itself up for me. It was never my plan. It was never my intention, but rather just listening to what was intuitively guiding me to the next phase of my career. So backing up, I went to school for social work and I got my master's in nonprofit management. So I really wanted to figure out how can I work in organizations that are doing good work in the community, doing good by the people that need to be served. And as time went on, I was working at a variety of nonprofit organizations. And the last one uh, that I was an employee for was United Way. It was the first time I had worked for an organization that was run more like a business in the sense of there it wasn't grassroots. There was really um, massive stability, a huge global presence. And I had this wonderful opportunity. I, I came on board as a fundraiser. So I would go out into different, I'm located here in Baltimore, Maryland, and I'd go out across Baltimore City and work with a variety of organizations to help them to create fundraising campaigns to raise money for the United Way. And over time, I took over their young professional programming. It had a wonderful framework. It had great branding and collateral, but it didn't have people showing up to events and it didn't have leadership or structure or programming. And so when the person who was leading it stepped away and took another role, they invited me to come forward because I was sort of salivating in the background, waiting for this opportunity. I knew, I just knew as a young professional myself that this was an untapped market, particularly in Baltimore. And so after 
a year of taking over the program, the membership quadrupled. And after a year and a half, the United Way headquarters deemed it the global best practice for engaging young professionals. Hmm. So what happens when you get that special gold star is that anytime someone calls the headquarters for help on how to engage young people, they would say, here's Mary Beth's contact information. Why don't you reach out to her? She's doing great stuff in Baltimore. So I started to coach and consult and give presentations at a national and international level very quickly. It happened like a big snowball effect. And what I learned is that there were so many people who were eager to engage young professionals, but didn't know how to create a culture or an environment where young professionals wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of recognizing that what I did was actually special versus it just seemed normal. It just was like, how else would I do it? This just makes sense. So I was making sure that we had an environment where the volunteers were being heard, that they were being empowered to step forward with their gifts, that they were saying, raising their hands and saying, I want to give of this gift of mine, not just financial gift, but in their talents and time um, and creating an environment where people were really coming together through those shared core values and feeling like they had not just a group, but they were a part of a tribe of human beings who were moving towards a greater purpose. So that experience led me to realize that there's something here. There's something to this. There is something about engaging young professionals that seemed to be a head scratcher for the majority of my colleagues at the time across the world. And what I knew that wasn't so apparent, but I knew deep down was that this was not a millennial thing. This was a human thing. And that actually all humans want these kinds of experiences, but it was sort of put into this box of, oh, well, you know how to do that because you're a young professional and they're your peer. So over time, when I, when I decided to step out and, and build my business, Spark Vision, I was very fortunate because my job was to build relationships in the community. My job was to show people how I know how to influence and create uh, meaningful engagements and healthy, thriving cultures. And so I was in a position where I knew the heads of large institutions personally. And so they wanted me to come in and work with them without even even knowing exactly what I was doing. They're like, I don't know what you're offering, but I know we want some of it here. And I started off as being a generational expert, being someone who talked about how to narrow the generational divide to just in the last few years, really shedding that. And stepping into what I always knew was true, which was that it's really not so much about the generations, but more about the shared values that connect us across all different diverse areas and how to be able to uncover what those values are and then learn how to create a thriving environment through embodiment of those values, not only in your nicely worded posters, but also in the behaviors of people, the actions, the programs, the policies, the budgets. So that it really is a full experience versus a nice idea. So I've been very fortunate to have these opportunities and it seems like they just kept evolving and changing over time. 
And so it, it certainly wasn't an easy journey by any means, but it was definitely the kind of thing that unfolded into this possibility in my life. And thankfully, in, in the lives of everyone, I have the pleasure of working with. So the good work that you did and the systems you developed to increase engagement in those young professionals, you kind of figured out, well, this is a universal stuff. Everybody wants to be in a place where they're welcomed, where they're valued, and where their values can also have a place to really flourish and blossom. And so it just naturally led one thing to the other. You know, we're, we're in recording this with the world coming back into the workplace to a large extent. Not everyone's coming back, of course. What are some of the, the main observations, I guess, that you would have about companies that are getting a restart, you know, where maybe their employees were gone for a while, now they're coming back in to make them feel more engaged, to help them feel welcome, to, to give them less fear? Because I think the world is still feeling a lot of fear right now. You're right. There is. And so it's interesting because I almost feel like, you know, when there's like a double Dutch and you're not sure if you're going to jump in, if you're going to get in, you're going to get out. We're kind of in that experience right now where many of the companies that I work with were saying they were going to come back to a hybrid workplace in September. And now they're pushing pause because they're not sure if actually this is the right timing. And I know that many organizations are in that same situation. It's like, what's the quote unquote right time, right? How do we do this in a way that's going to make people feel that safety, both for their health, but also uh, their physical health, but also their mental health, their sense of well-being, their ability to take care of their needs that they have been taking care of at home. And so I have found for the companies who are, beginning to move back, the biggest part has been being responsive to listening to what their people want. So I've worked with companies who said, okay, everybody's coming up, period, end of story, that's happening on this date. And there was a massive backlash, hmm. massive amount of uproar saying, what are you talking about? How can that possibly be the next step? And then I have other teams who are literally checking in um, intentionally with their people once a month to just get a pulse check on, do you even want to come back in at all? And if you did, what would that need to look like for you to feel a sense of safety? Generally speaking, the majority of the teams that I've seen are planning on doing hybrid beginning in the fall. And they have been incredibly thoughtful about the human experience along the way. So. I mentioned one example is these pulse checks. So just really asking people, not assuming and not doing it in such a way that's like, oh, I'm just going to ask like three random people, but rather giving the entire organization a chance to provide feedback, whether that's in a survey or listening sessions, really having somebody go around and doing small groups where you can hear and respond to the concerns and the opportunities that are arising. And that in itself has been majorly impactful because a lot of times in organizations, decisions are being made by like two or three people that sit at the heads of the table and they're not engaging anybody else in that process and in that conversation. And so it's really powerful to not only ask for it, but then do something with that. So if you're asking people to provide you with feedback, share the feedback. Don't keep it so close to your chest that it's like, oh, it's a secret only for the powers that be, but rather how can we be transparent about where people are and being responsive to that? So that's one part. Another part has been 
teams who are intentionally doubling down on their values, especially during this time. So let's just say um, there was a value of excellence. That's a pretty common one across organizations. Being able to pause and have a reflection and say, what did excellence mean over the last year and a half? And how is that going to change, evolve, shift, or remain the same as we move into coming back together physically? What can we honor and celebrate? And what are the things that have an opportunity to get in better alignment with the way we're showing up every day? Well, are you finding, Mary Beth, that companies that had a very people-centered culture before the pandemic hit are making an easier transition into the next stage than those that maybe were more command and control, punch in, punch out type organizations. I'm curious what you're seeing in your work. Even the best organizations from a sense of employee well-being and engagement, everybody's having a hard time from the sense of it's not easy, but it can be simple, Hmm. right? And so it's recognizing that even the most engaged teams had opportunities because we're all learning how to do this. And yes, we've had time now to figure it out, but a lot of teams that were really great in person needed a good five, six months to figure out what that looked like in the online space, Mm -hmm. which was fine, which was okay because they communicated it. They were being thoughtful about the process. And I will say also though, that the teams who had lower levels of engagement I have been so pleasantly surprised by the ones who said, you know what, we're going to take advantage of this time and we're going to put intentional effort and energy towards this work with creating a sense of community, of culture, as we're all distanced um, and have seen an incredible return on their results. So so one of the things that I use as a metric, pretty, pretty standard metric, I'm, I'm sure people in this space are pretty familiar, is a net promoter score, which mm-hmm. is essentially... Um, of the people that work in your company, how many people would promote working there? It would actually recommend it to somebody else as a good place to work. And across the board, I have found that um, the majority of my teams who have had a consistent people first type of culture have actually seen an increase in their neck promoter scores, meaning that they got even better during this remote time because they were doubling down, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that the ones who weren't doing so great, but were actually looking to invest in it, often had an even bigger jump in their neck promoter score because they hadn't done anything about it before. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not all rainbows and sunshine. Of course, there are teams who just totally fell apart and Um, their net promoter scores went down significantly. But those were the teams who not only didn't have something in place beforehand, but they didn't put value on this during the experience. And so they did not give people permission to be human. They did not encourage psychological safety and conversations and the ability to meet people where they were, but rather they were just going through the motions as if it was business as usual and wanting to pretend like there weren't other experiences that people needed to address during that time. Fascinating stuff. And I like the fact that you're doing some research-based conclusions here, not just talking off the top of your head, which is really good. But let's let's back up more into kind of your own journey, if you don't mind. 
along the way in this brilliant career that you're building, you're bound to have had a time when things were just moving right along and all of a sudden, bam, a brick wall. If you've had an experience like that, and I'm, I'm sure you have, because I don't know anybody that's doing anything that hasn't, what are some, uh, some learnings about how to, how to react when you have one of those brick wall moments? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I'm like thinking, which one do I pick? <laughs> the one that came to mind right away was, I, I mentioned when I started my business, I was very fortunate. Right out the gate, I had Johns Hopkins Healthcare as a client, which is an international organization that some consultants spend their whole career trying to get into. So I was working with them and I was also working with Cystic Fibrosis Foundation nationally. So I was in a really fortunate position that I had a great uh, roster of clients and I felt like everything was going beautifully. And I just thought, this is just how business, this is what it is to be an entrepreneur, right? Like you just show up, you do good work, clients come to you and you make a good living. And actually just on one of the contracts, I was making twice as much as I had made my whole salary in my job before. So I thought I was just, you know, doing all the things and getting it all right. And so I was in a, in a great place of financial abundance and I decided to hire a CFO to start working with someone and I was going to look at office space and do all these things. And she was looking at my numbers and she said, okay, well, this is great and you're, you're doing great. However, I'm not seeing where you're going to replace this revenue because these contracts are coming to an end. Like what's coming up? Like what's on the horizon for you? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm just going to keep doing good work and people will refer me and all this. She goes, yeah, I, I respect that. And I think that's a great thing to believe and surrender into. However, it's also really great to have some prospects and to have a pipeline and to have a cycle for these things. And it was not her fault by any means. She was doing exactly what I hired her to do. But as soon as she left that meeting, I went into a terrible cycle of self-doubt, of imposter syndrome, of feeling like I was just lucky and there's no way I'm actually going to be able to make a business out of this. Who did I think I was? And it really put me into a depression. It was the type of thing where I woke up in the morning and the first thought in my head was, you are such a loser. It was the first thing I thought every morning. And anybody from the outside looking in would be so surprised to hear that because on paper, it was the opposite. I was checking all the boxes for success, but I felt like such a loser because I didn't understand these basics that my CFO was illuminating for me. And I immediately went into a scarcity mindset of this is not possible for me and I need to go find a job and I need to let all of this go. And that probably went on for about two months, which was a very painful two months. And thankfully, through getting the proper support with professionals and also like taking some aligned action that was in alignment with my values and recognizing that my worth and my um, purpose for being here on earth has nothing to do with a dollar sign, uh, but rather in continuing to empower and ignite people in these possibilities that I know I'm here to create for others. And so it took a significant amount of work. And then once that work, that inner work was complete, it once again became this huge open channel for abundance and flow. And if anybody listening can relate to this, 
these feelings of scarcity and not enoughness and basing your success on metrics that aren't necessarily in alignment with your values, but are what society believes are the metrics for success. I hope that this is a story to remind you, as I reminded myself, that that's not actually the most important thing in the world. And that when you take care of yourself on the inside, that's what reflects on the outside. And so that is when you can continue to get back into that energy and into the flow of possibility and abundance. That's amazingly insightful. The whole notion of enoughness is often neglected because you can't measure it. It's not something that shows up on a sales report, financial study, but that enoughness is what gets people through a lot of stuff. And you had to figure that out as well. So true. And in fact, it's the kind of thing where the executives that I coach one-on-one, they are every single metric of success, every single one that most people would think of, right? Like they're leading large organizations. They have a certain amount of financial stability and wealth. They are getting these accolades from the community. They're being regarded as somebody that people trust and want to follow. And yet when I'm working with them and I'm talking to them, it's the same thing that I just described, but their version of it. Right. And the majority of it is feeling like I never tended to them themselves, feeling like they never tended to their own needs, feeling like they never took the time to learn what are their values, how do they want those activated versus just going through the motions every day because that's what they've always done. Now, interesting, you, you uh, have a little formula in some of your writings, values times behavior equals culture. Can you yeah. explain on that for us a little bit? Absolutely. So this is one of my favorites. It's really hard to measure culture. It's really hard to say this is what culture is because it's constantly changing. But really, when you think about culture as a whole, using this formula of values times behavior, it gives you a lens through which you can start to break down what is my culture actually, right? So for example, your values, you take one value at a time. So we can say the value of integrity. So if that's your value, what are the behaviors? What are the behaviors of your team? What are the behaviors that you have? And are they in or out of alignment with that idea of integrity? So for example, if integrity was the big thing and the behavior was having clear communications so that everybody's on the same page, that would create a culture of really powerful integrity because people would understand what's expected of them. They would know what's going on. Whereas if you were to go in the opposite direction, you took opaque communications, only letting certain people know what's going on, that would create a culture that is a total disconnect from integrity and actually creates a lack of psychological safety and people feeling like integrity is something that's actually lived at that organization. So when I work with companies, we, we break that formula down one by one and have each individual say, okay, let's take one value and look in the mirror and say, where am I? Where are my behaviors showing up in alignment and where are my behaviors out of alignment? And in each of those scenarios, how am I creating culture as a result of that? Mm -hmm. And going back to the individual level, do you find sometimes people can work for years in a job or a career and never really have to come to grips with, well, what are my values? That they can just work and work and work and suddenly a crisis or something hits them. Is that possible? Oh my gosh. 90% of human beings on this earth could not tell you what their top five core values are from a place of groundedness, right? They, they might be able to rattle off some words that are 
makes sense because they think that's what everybody cares about. But very few people have actually taken the time to pause and reflect and honor not only what the words are to describe their values, but how they want to intentionally activate them in their work and home, in their relationships, in their communities. But I think particularly at work, values are often the kind of thing that's thrown around like a branding collateral piece, like marketing and communications. But very rarely do people take it to the individual level. So whenever I do my values work with teams and companies, we have a multi-day retreats. And the first day of the retreat is always about the individual uncovering their own values as a single human being. And that's on purpose because before we talk about the collective values of the whole organization, we want people to understand that we are all living, breathing, walking, talking sets of values. And that when we're in experiences that light us up and give us energy, that's because our values are being activated. And when we're in an experience where we're feeling drained and exhausted and turned off, that's because our values are being violated. And so when we, when we skip over that step of getting it to an individual level, it, it's not really, it doesn't feel as tangible to the individual. It feels like a branding exercise. So I've always found it to be so powerful that first day for people to say, wow, I actually know what my values are. I know where they came from. And because of that, I can now be a part of a thoughtful and dynamic conversation around the values that we're going to honor here at work because I know how they show up in my own life through my own experiences where they may not have before. When somebody's clear about their why, they actually don't have to do a whole lot of searching for people because people with the same why will be drawn to them. You'll end up recruiting people that believe the same way you believe, and that's how great things can happen. One more kind of question for a lot of our listeners who are going through some tough times. And we know that the world is variable, you know, that we can go from the mountaintop into the bottom of the valley. What are some words of encouragement you could share with somebody that just doesn't know where to turn right now, their career or their family or personal situation, they are just paralyzed. Any thoughts, encouragement there? Absolutely. So this is actually why I wrote my whole book, Permission to Be Human. It's this idea that we all need permission to be human. And we often are willing to give ourselves permission to be perfect, but we're very rarely allowing ourselves to have permission to make mistakes, have permission to not know the right answer, have permission to be able to say, I don't even know what to do right now. And I need to get more support in that process, but also doing it in a way where you're being compassionate, you're having self-compassion, right? You're suspending judgment and you're igniting love in that process. So if anyone listening right now is in a position where they don't know where to turn or what to do next, I invite you to meet yourself where you are right now. Just be present in where you are in your journey in this moment and recognize that this is a part of what is going to get you to the higher ground. And to not try to skip over it as fast as possible and to try to muscle your way through, but rather to sit down and to ask, how can I be giving myself more permission to be human right now? How can I be kinder to myself as I evolve in this journey? And how can I have appreciation for where I am in this moment because it is going to serve me in the future? Right. So when the world is giving us a mugging, 
we don't need to pick up a club and turn it on ourselves. Which we do, right? Unfortunately, just like I shared in my example before, we're the first ones to beat ourselves up. And a lot of high-performing people are in that club, for certain. For sure. Mary Beth, I'm really grateful that you're in the space that you're in. People connect with what makes them uniquely human. And that connection then goes to what gives us our common humanity, which plays out in work, where we'd spend more of our time than any other single activity for a lot of years of our lives. So it's good that you do what you do. And I'm really delighted that we could have this time together today. Thank you so much. I'm delighted too. And I appreciate those kind words. I, I definitely feel very fortunate to be in this space, in this moment in time. It definitely is a, a pivotal and key moment in our human history. And so it's wonderful to be a part of these important conversations like we had today. Very much so. Have a soft shell crab for me when you get a chance. <laughs> Will do. Thank you again. Mary Beth Highland, everyone on the Action Catalyst. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.